Bat Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for making time for this. I'm grateful to be speaking to you as always. We're like, uh, we're, like we're like buddies now, dude. Come on. I I thought we I thought we were already, but you're saying that just now this is the moment where we we became buddies. No, no, you're not looking at me. I'm, I'm seeing a side view of you. Is that how it works? Yes, you're gonna see the crappy, ugly version of me, but YouTube will see the pretty version of me. All right. <laughs> I don't know why I, I get to suffer through burned. it. All right. Well, I, I have lots of questions about the punk rock museum and about no effects and other stuff. But first, the real question that I that I need to know the answer to. Oh. I need you to rank these fetishes in order of which ones turn you on the most. Uh. Farts, feet, or getting stepped on by a Betty Page lookalike? Uh, I don't like any of those. But if you had to choose one, farts? No, a bit Betty Page getting stepped on. That's kind of weird. Look, I'm just, I, I don't know. It's, it's the nineties. You know, I feel like we're more, you know, open to different experiences now. You know, outside of a Sam Haynes show once. So I woke up on the sidewalk with footprints on my chest, but that was, those you were, liked it. Those were pit footprints. No, I don't remember getting them, but it was kind of cool having footprints on you. Uh, well, for anybody who is not familiar, tell us about the punk rock museum. If I buy a ticket to that thing and I go tomorrow, what should I expect? Uh, honestly, you'll expect a much better experience than you were expecting. That's what everybody keeps telling me. Uh, I go there a lot and I just kind of hang out to talk to people and people, uh, half the people are in tears and I've never seen so many smiles in my life. People are truly joyed going there because, uh, because people don't know what to expect, but yeah. what people are finding is that they find a, a part of part of the museum that really touches them emotionally, whether it's when you got into punk or a show that meant something to you or a band that changed your life. Uh, it's all there. It's five decades of punk. And uh, we spent, you know, two years building it and it's, it's very professional and it's, it's almost soothing. You know, it's not like you're, it's not like you hear discharge the whole time. Uh, you know, you walk into the f first room and you hear like low music of the air because it goes by eras and by cities. And you walk in and the first room is, uh, it's, the it's, I, I designed three of the rooms, but the first one is mine and I wanted it very welcoming. And it's just like, uh, well lit, but a dark room, big black and white photos of, uh, really important icons in in the punk world. You know, first person you see is Alice Bag, you know, from uh, the Bags and uh, Alice Bag Band, and then you see you know, see Minor Threat, and you see Tony Sly, and you see uh, Rancid, and it's like uh, Laura Jane, uh, Polystyrene. You just, you see these iconic photos, and it it's a big room, and it just makes you feel like oh. There's space in here for me. This is not uh, This is not a joke. And really quick, before we go any further, have you checked out my Patreon? Patrons get early access to all my main channel videos and my podcasts. 
I also do giveaways sometimes. For example, I just gave away a pair of these Eargasm earplugs. And if you want me to review your music, there's a way to do that as well. All you gotta do is join at the $10 and up level, then every month I do a call for submissions. If you want me to review something, all you gotta do is drop it in the comments of that post, then I will review it live on Twitch and post it on Patreon for everyone to see. So if that sounds cool, hit the link in the description of this video, and I appreciate your support. I've been to like the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Museum of Pop Culture, and they always have like a little corner for punk and like, you know, it's okay, but they don't really go deep. And it feels like it's the time for someone to do that. And who better to do it than all of you guys? Yeah. Uh, well, thanks. Yeah. And uh, me and Lisa Brownlee and, and uh, from work to her and Vinny from Lester Jake, really, with it, we were the first three and we built an incredible team of people, uh, including collectors, Brian from Nightbirds and Brian Ray. Turco from Kill Your Idols. And uh, people can't believe how deep some of these exhibits go. Like the Johnny Thunders exhibit, you know, we have his red leather jacket and some of his photos when he was sitting on Santa Claus as a kid. We have his cassette tape collection. Like you can see what Johnny Thunders was listening to. And, you know, of course we have Just Trevor's bag of weed. And, uh, but then like, I think my favorite thing in the museum is when you hit early LA and we have uh Pat Smear's first royalty check for $8 and 34 cents. Oh, wow. From the first germ seven inch. We have, we have the plates from the first LA seven inch forming. And, and we have Darby's phone book, his black phone book. He kept in his back pocket and it's, it's open to a page. that said, the first name is poser and there's a phone number, you know, it's like, it's just what, how'd you guys get all this stuff? Yeah. And That's what I was wondering. I mean, it's, you, you got Joe Strummer's shirt. You got the Devo Energy Domes. I we mean, this the, is we like mold. we have the mold from the Energy Domes too. Like, oh wow, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised that some of the stuff even still exists. But well, that you guys were able to find it. Yeah, there's certain people that just kept everything in their basement, and then there's been these collectors that go and and dig it out. Like uh, Brian Gorsner from uh, Nightbirds. He recently went to D.C. and he went to Nathan from the Teen Idols basement nathan's like you know what this stuff's been on my basement for 40 years take it so you know we got ian mckay's greyhound bus ticket from dc to la the first time they went there to play with exit hong kong uh we have their original amps and the fuck we have the the a piece of their wall that they had uh they just had pictures of blondie and iggy pop you know on on their wall we, we got inner ear studios we have gear from inner ear studios you know, it's like, it's such a joy to walk through there. And what's, what, what we're finding out, which none of us expected, people are walking, everybody walks through twice, at least, mm. because it, they, you, there's too much. I mean, you would think that something like this would have happened a long time ago because, you know, there's so much history and so much there. But then you think about like, who else could track all this stuff down, you know, and who else would be willing to do all that to go to that work and, you know, kind of make sense that it took this long. Uh, I always wonder why certain things don't happen. Like I, I think I'm pretty good at, at seeing what's missing in the world. You know, like I was surprised when no one wrote a song called first call. I wrote first call and I'm like, someone has to have written this before because <laughs> there's, you know, 10,000 last calls, but right. no, one right. I'm like, oh my God, no one wrote this before. All right. And, you know, people have opened punk museums, but they're usually 
specific like Ramones yeah, or LA punk museum or the DC punk museum. And uh, it just, uh, when the idea first started of opening this place in Vegas and then it just, Oh, let's get all five decades. Let's be inclusive because punk rock music, the punk rock scene is the most inclusive, you know, mm-hmm. we'll take any fucking dork or, you know, uh, any mis- miscreant, whatever, as long as they're yeah. not total dick. Uh, it's a place for, for losers and misfits and D and D players. And uh, so of course the museum has to be all inclusive. And, you know, you go upstairs and you're going to see some good Charlotte stuff. You know, right. it's, it's how it is. But they have to be in there. I mean, they're part, whether you like it or not. I mean, I, part, I think Good Charlotte's a cool band, but they are part of punk, whether you like it or they not. They are part of punk. They started just like all the rest of us did. You know, yep. they spent a bunch of punk kids that liked Minor Threat and Rants. And and mm-hmm. how, however their career became, who cares? Yeah. They're a punk band. And I... and. uh a lot of bands don't even consider themselves punk bands. I'm still fucking putting them in. <laughs> it's not up to them. <laughs> what are some of the bands that uh, that fit into that category? Uh, well, a Green Day do not consider themselves a punk band. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, they're in uh, Avenged Sevenfold. I put them in. They're in crossover. Okay. They're in crossover corner. Because yeah, they, they all started. That makes sense. They all started. In yeah. Uh, we have a couple family trees that aren't up yet, but like Foo Fighters, every single person in the band now, especially, is from a punk band. Right. And like Nate, we stayed, no effect stayed at Nate's mom's house in 87 when he was in Diddley Squat in, you know, the uh-huh. area. So it's going to show pictures of Foo Fighters and, and all the bands that everyone is from. Well, I'm glad you did that because one of the most frustrating things to me over the years is how kind of dogmatic and narrow-minded people can be of like punk only means the bands that I listened to when I was 15 to 18 years old. But, you know, when I was a kid, there were people telling me that the stuff I liked wasn't punk and and this just keeps happening. So, I, you know, I, I think it's really cool that you, of all people, somebody who, you know, your your opinion means a lot, put your foot down on that. Yeah, well, and, you know, it is a privately owned museum. And, like, we're, we're not putting Screwdriver in. Yeah. You know, we're not going to put in a band that's com- completely racist. Uh, we don't feel a need to do that. Now, there's yeah. some choices that we had to discuss. Uh, and we, we decided that we're not punk rock police. We are historians. And, if yeah. and uh, a good example is Fang. Should Fang be in the museum because Sammy Town killed his girlfriend for heroin? He did yeah. he was on America's Most Wanted. He he did twelve years time. He did his time, and now he's uh you know he's been sober for years and years. A very helpful person in society. Whatever, yeah, he fucked up, but Fang is an important part of you know. I mean, like there's a Fang sticker on Billy Joe's blue guitar. We have. What are we supposed to do? Take the Fang sticker off? Uh, right. No. Uh, I mean, it's, so well, it's would- tough because there are a lot of unsavory people, especially, you know, back in the day when things were more wild than they are now. There are a lot of unsavory people. And where do you draw the line? Yeah, you really can't. But we did it, Screwdriver, because they are a bit. I should quit mentioning them and giving them fucking. <laughs> but when you're an, an actively racist, not actively, but when you're a very racist band, 
or very homophobic, you know, wouldn't we need you? Although I'm not going to get into that either, but you know, what fear said wasn't homophobic in 1981. Different time. And and then there's, you know, sex pistols wearing swastika patches. Were they actually Nazis or were they just trying to be assholes? Yeah. Just trying to be obnoxious. So, you know, you can't, you can't cancel bands when they, for what their views were, when they were somewhat acceptable. Anyway, let's, let's move on. Yeah, yeah. Well, one thing I really liked is um, that you can actually play some of the, and I have not been to the museum. I want to go. We have a baby coming up uh, in a few weeks, so not yeah, a good time for me to do that. Thank you. Um, it's but a, it's my a understanding is, do that. what's that? The perfect time, actually. <laughs> yeah, sorry, babe. Get the fuck out of Dodge. Yeah. Um, but uh, my understanding is you can actually play a lot of the guitars and touch some of the other stuff there. Um, that's pretty cool. How did you guys make that decision? I just wanted to do that. Yeah, you, me and Fletch were talking about it. And I was, I mean, I just, a couple of the ideas that I started this with were just, I want tour guide. Well, I want a jam room. I don't care if someone plays my bass. I, because my bass was sitting there in the same spot for 25 years. Why should they be getting played? And Fletch is like, play my guitar. Play my guitar. And then he punched me. Uh, But yeah, and the thing is, is once we opened, because people didn't want to give us guitars. They wanted them all behind glass. But then Rob from Strung Out gave us his awesome SG. uh, They they loaned it. And uh, Zach from Rise Against. And then uh, we convinced, and Tim Armstrong gave us his Op Ivy guitar and his Rancid original hollow body. The Rancid, the Operation Ivy one's behind glass, but he, he goes, he, we convinced him to let people play his hollow body Rancid. And it's, this. I have a picture of this girl, this 12-year-old girl playing it, because she's lefty. And it was magic. She couldn't believe she was playing this guitar. It's like, it's, it's, it's a life-changing event for some people. Yeah. I mean, if, if I was a kid, I went to some museum and I could play Joe Strummer's guitar or Sid's bass. He'd be like, oh my, I want to be a bass player. So it's, it's really important. And so we got Lince and then, and then uh, Pat Smear is letting us use his original Germs Hagstrom guitar. Uh, Joan Jed gave us her guitar and, uh, and we're getting Lemmy's stack and his bass for the jam. Wow. Yeah. Man. You know, there's going to be so many people, especially kids, like you said, that look back on this and this is going to be like a really transformational moment for them that they got to hold this like piece of history in their hand. Yeah, I really, I really believe that. The other day I was, I was in the office eating lunch and I heard some kid trying to play Separation of Church and Skate by no effects in him. And he was, he was doing a terrible job. So I just walked into the jam room. I go, hey kid, this is how it goes. And he was like, oh my God, like, what's going on? Yeah, those kind of moments. Yeah, and that's that's why I moved to Vegas. You know, I moved here for this purpose, to uh, to birth this this baby and to see it grow. And uh, it's it's just, uh, and it, it is. It's kind of like when you really have a baby, you see the world through different eyes a little bit. You know, I'm seeing people in their twenties through sixties come through the museum, and they're just they're like they're blown away and it's just what a what a happy place and it's amazing how timeless this stuff is that there's 14 year olds now that still like minor threat and the germs and there always will be 
Yeah, that's one other thing we have in the uh, in the DC section. When I do tour tour guides, when I when I do tours, I have someone read it, and it's a postcard that says, "Dear Necros, uh, please send more information about your band and let me playing when you're let me let me know when you're playing in DC. Send stickers too." Inside David Grohl, when he, when he was fourteen, and he was sent in 1984. Like, wow, this is not like any other museum, just like punk rock. It's not just a music scene. It's, it's all connected. It's all family. Yeah. And letting people touch the instruments and stuff to me is such an important element of this, because one of the things that was always so cool about punk and hardcore that was different from, you know, the, the quote unquote rock world is that if you wanted to get up on stage and grab the mic and do something stupid, you were just as welcome on stage as the band. Yeah, exactly. And pe people say, what if someone breaks it, breaks the instrument? And it happened on the first day, someone dropped my bass and, and kind of broke something off it. You know what happened? We took the guy back and beat the shit out of him. No, what we did is we fixed the bass. You right. know, like you do on tour, you fix it. It's right. just fucking instruments, people. Yeah, and if and if it burns to the ground, you know, if the bass blows up, you, then you get a new one. You get a new one and make it look like the old one. Yeah, we'll be uh, fine. Yeah, we had so one. You also we had an artifact sent to us. I'm not going to say what it was, but it was a pretty awesome artifact. And someone sent it UPS and didn't use our shipping company. And when it got to us, we got the box, but there was nothing in it. Ah, shit. And uh, and it was worried. Like, what are we going to do? I'm like, uh, something got lost. Okay, it's not that big a deal. And the person who sent it was like, oh my god, I'm so stupid. I sent, I just sent it UPS, and uh, whatever, shit goes wrong. Yeah, yeah. Well, another thing that's really cool about it is the tour guides. I saw you had like Jack from TSOL. You got Joe Escalante from the Vandals, Jennifer Finch, Roger Muret, like some real um, heavy hitters. Um, what is the tour guide thing and how does that work? Well, I, I'm actually doing one later today. And so is Monkey from the Addicts. Uh, they've been so fucking good. And people just trip out. What it is, is I, I'll give everyone a run through of what like the cool places to stop. But I just, I hired people like Luigi from Suicidal Tendencies. I've known him since I was 14. I'm like, dude, He's like, what, what do I, I don't know about all this stuff up here. I go, just tell your stories. Remember that show? Yeah, it's the show where we, we got knifed, whatever. And I went on Warren Fitzgerald's tour and Jennifer's tour. Jennifer, she compared uh, suicidal tendencies to Wagner. I'm like, wow, that's something. And uh, and Roger from Agnostic Front, he had the best tour. And, I, and Smelly's was great. Everyone's totally different. It's just you're hearing stories from different people from, you know, all our different perspectives. It's so fun. And uh, and everyone is really stoked on it. Like I today, I, later today, uh, Tony Hawk's doing my tour. He's, he, oh, he, wow. But I think it to go on my tour. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And I gave Flea a tour. Uh, I gave Joan Jett, her, uh, the band, a tour. And, uh, and Iggy's coming later this month, too. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, what a cool opportunity. You know, again, imagine you're 14 years old or 60, whatever, it doesn't matter, you know, to get 
you know, Joe Escalante to give you a tour and to play Fat Mike's bass and like what a like what a cool opportunity. I thank you. I mean, I really think that we got a team together of people who are like, we have to do this right. You know, uh, and and there's there's a lot of naysayers who are like, oh, stop charging thirty dollars. Man, you thirty bucks is cheap as hell. Hour and a half tour, you know. Yeah, with, with Casey Royer, and you think that's right. much? I'd pay three hundred for that in a heartbeat. It's it's fucking it's it's a great deal, and and a lot of these people, uh, like Don Bowles from the Germs, he was given the best tours. Guy needs money, you know, and he's sure. making like he gets half of everything. So you know, our tour guides are making between like fifteen hundred and three thousand dollars a day. They need the money. Sure. Like, it's not like it's, uh, anyway, it's fucking yeah. fun, Finn. Fucking fun, Finn. <laughs> what was the biggest challenge? Cause this is not like the corner of, you know, an office. This is like a building. It's like a real operation. Uh, the biggest challenge for me was, uh, calling people and asking for money. Something I'm not used to. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I bought the building originally myself, but it's going to, you know, we still needed like $3 million to, to build it all out and to do everything. So I had to call, you know, Tim Armstrong and Brett Gruitz, Kevin Lyman and, and all my, you know, I only wanted to call bands Mm -hmm. and and people in the music industry and, you know, and people stopped calling you back and, okay, well, I could give you this much. And I feel it was like, it was really hard. Then I got Fletcher to do it for me because I figured he could fucking force it at anyone. Right. And he got, he went through the same thing. He's like, man, this is hard. You know, like I'm not getting calls back from people. Like they always call me back. <laughs> and the funny thing is people don't trust me for some reason. Uh, like, oh, Fat Mike's putting together this, this place. Oh, Jesus. What a disaster this is going to be. But what? Well, I- I don't know if you're joking or not, but I mean, you have a very strong track record of doing shit. You're not a flake. Well, but people still see me that way because I do start a lot of things and finish. I, I finished like I did Rocky against Bush. You know, I spent yeah. years doing that and it was very successful, but then I stopped it. I didn't want to do that anymore. I don't want to move well, on. What are you going to do? Rocky against Bush in 2021? Yeah, well, just keeping a political organization—that's not yeah. my life goals. I want to make music and and yeah. spread happiness to people. Uh, doing politics is not spreading happiness. That's fucking for sure. No. <laughs> and uh, you know, and I'm a known uh, alcohol and drug user. You know, and even though I barely do anymore, it doesn't matter. Once you get penned, oh, you're not sober. No, I'm not sober. And you want me to trust, I'm supposed to trust you with my money. I mean, but how many people do business over drinks, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I know I mean, that's a pretty normal thing. Oh, I know. Uh, which is, so this place has been very stressful that way because I footed the bill for like the, when the city, the city kept, uh, the, the biggest hardship the, there's this rock that Vegas is built on called Klieg or something. And it's harder than cement. And it took three months for them to di- to dig uh, to get pipes for a better water system for our sprinkler system, and it put us so behind. And there, there was just nothing we could do about it. And so, yeah, I had to foot the bill for all this 
for our employees and all this construction, all kinds of shit. So it got pretty stressful, but now uh, every weekend is doing better and better. And, and like I said before, it's just the joy on people's faces is it's everything. How did you pick Vegas as the location? Why not LA? Uh, Vegas is a place that you don't have to twist people's arms to go to. Uh, and what I did notice is, you know, with, with uh, punk rock bowling and th there's so many music festivals here. Now, when we were mm -hmm. here in Viva and people go to Vegas and, and people want something to do in Vegas besides gamble. I mean, it's it, the amount of people that come here every year. It's just crazy. And people so, go there just to shop and eat now. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, or, you know, see the world's biggest ball of twine. I don't know. Right. They have things here. They have tourist objections and the mob museum, they do like a thousand people a day and there's no real mob fans around the world that are going to mob shows all the time. <laughs> right. Right. Uh, and, you know, and a big part of it was like people said, New York or LA where it would be a fucking fortune. Yeah. Get a building and to get a place like we, are and a shittier experience for people because think about like parking and travel and all that. Like I would way rather go in Vegas than New York or LA. Yeah. We have, you know, we have, we're building a skate ramp next to the place where we can have shows and we're next to the freeway and we're in, in a, in the opportunity zone. So mm. uh, we can do what the fuck we want. We're not right next to a strip club, you know, and uh, it's where we belong. I mean, right. <laughs> That's right. So Vegas seemed like the perfect place. Uh, and, and Vegas, it, I would argue that it's the most punk rock city in, in, uh, I'm just going to say it, um, North America. Okay. Tell me why. Uh, in the eighties when no effects used to play here. We used to play in the middle of the desert. They do parties in the middle of the desert. They did it for years, just yeah. with the generator. And, always do their own shows. And to this day, it's a 24 hour city, which is so rare. You know, you go to a show here and you can, you'll see a band go on at 4 AM. People are just partying all night long. And, and there's like less rules in Vegas, you know, cops like let shit go. And it's a fucking dangerous, weird fucking city where <laughs> yeah, makes sense. always lived. Feel like there's a G.G. Allen lurking around every corner. <laughs> <laughs> there, it's just it's a sketchy place. You can't trust anyone, and uh, I think it's the perfect spot. Yeah. Well, I know that you're excited about the whole thing, but just like on a on a personal level, what are some of the artifacts that you were most excited to see and get your hands on? Uh, the plates for uh. The Germ 7-inch, Chris Ashford from What Records sent those. That was the first thing I was like, holy shit, this is amazing. I'm uh, amazed those exist. Uh, yeah. And we have, we have, Fat Records has tons of plates from Propaganda 7-inch and all kinds of records. We got Bad Religion 2-inch from Against the Grain. We got the original Against the Grain artwork. Uh, wow. Yeah. Uh, and Tim's Operation Ivy Guitar is pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's so much shit. The, uh, is it that old, like white one 
Yeah, it's pink now. Like Charvel or whatever it was. Yeah, it's a, it's pink. Oh no, his, uh, the Op Ivy one. No, it's got stickers all over it. It's a weird fucking guitar, and he, and he cut off one of the things he didn't like how it okay. sat on his belly. Uh, we got we have Billy Joe's first bass amp because when he first played Gilman, he could he couldn't afford a guitar, so he used a G- Gallon Kruger bass amp and just turned the bass down and ha- used a distortion box. Uh, just the other day, this was really fun. I got, uh, I called Dave Grohl because there's one room with like all these bands with gold records, like the year punk broke. So can you give us some Nirvana gold records? He's like, sure. He's like, I got a Grammy too. Uh, but he goes, I can't send it to you because, and he sent me the rules of Grammy. Oh, okay. You can only put it in your house or your office. You can't put it on public display. I go, oh. well, can I have it anyway? He's like, sure. So he just sent it. <laughs> so we have that. That's pretty wild. Uh, uh, we have uh, Rabies boots and and uh, Harley's boots and Roger Murray's boots. We have like all these New York's hardcore boots. Mm-hmm. Harley's has teeth marks in it. Uh, <laughs> Don't know whose teeth. Doesn't matter. Doesn't really matter. <laughs> uh, just people. We have Wesley Willis's keyboard that you can play in the jam room. Oh, wow. So, you know, rock. Where did that come from? Uh, Chris Trevero, my friend, had it. Uh, We just have the fucking shit, dude. Yeah, this is the treasure trove. It really is. And and now they're open. Everyone is like, like Danny from Wasted Youth. He he just sent me six of old Wasted Youth flyers that he hand, you know, the the originals. And pay stops. Pay steps and shit like that is just so cool. Uh, it's you know, D Boone's amp. We have Fierce Saxophone. I love Fierce Saxophone. So it's it's uh, it's a magical place, it really is. And it sounds like people have been cool. You know, I could imagine it's you know, it's punk, it's Vegas. I could imagine some people getting weird, but it sounds like they've been cool so far. Everyone's been super respectful. Also in our bar, you can get the Fletcher, which is like a drink. Cause as you know, Fletcher, yeah, he drinks, he em- empties a Pringles can and makes pours a bottle of rum in and a little Coke. So we, so we did that. So you get a Pringles can, you get a basket full of Pringles and then we make the drink in the Pringles can. Shit like that. That sounds dangerous. Oh, it's dangerous. Well, I mean, that's all part of the magic, right? Someone's going to show up and do something weird someday, and that'll all, that'll be part of the museum, too. Hey, on Saturday night, Hefe tackled Fletcher, and Fletcher fell into Eric Melvin, and Eric Melvin fell on his nose on his guitar. You know, There you go. And now that hole in the wall is Eric Melvin's head. Yeah. That's part of the museum forever. <laughs> so what are your plans for this thing in the future? Uh, just we're going to keep switching stuff out temporary exhibits and, and adding more shit. I want, my goal is to get as many punk bands from around the world in this museum. Yeah, that's true. I mean, you, you, you the stuff you mentioned is all American, which makes sense because, you know, you're American and that is, you know. No, no, we tried American so stuff. hard. We tried so hard to get as much European shit and Japanese I shit. I mean, even there's so much cool shit happening in like Indonesia and stuff that would Wait, be really cool to see. In no, there. We, have, we, sh- we have a screen playing Indonesian gigs. Oh, awesome. You know, there's there's foreign sections. It's just we put out the word, send us. 
Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Photos of your band are flyers. And we're not getting that much. Yeah. You know, from around the world. But it, it's, when you hit the section of international, it's just the walls are kind of bare. Like we, we started putting stuff from England in there, you know, <laughs> because we're just not. Canada. We got a bunch of stuff from High Standard. They sent us some awesome stuff. But we're just waiting for it to come in. We're not. It's It's a world. I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Wide Museum. And there's a building that that's part of our building that's like another thousand square feet that uh, we're trying to acquire to. I'm not super plugged into all that stuff that's happening in those places in Indonesia, but when I see the videos of that stuff and I hear those bands, that feels like to me the bleeding edge of punk worldwide. It absolutely is. Like we have an article we we put up. Uh, if you had a mohawk in Jakarta, cops could shave it. Right. Right. That kind of shit should be known. Like when, it actually means something there. We 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 have a, a bunch of photos that got st- stopped in customs of cops actually battling police in Germany, you know, over squatters' rights, mm-hmm. and, and we're it it got it gets still held up in customs. I don't know why, but we're getting all that shit, and uh, we're paying attention. It's just uh, like I said before, people they're hesitant to to send all their all these items that mean so much to them. Yeah. Understandable. Until museum is, is literally, uh, until it, it's, it, it, people think it's, it's a, a real place. So it's, it's not just some pipe dream. You know, people think of you as a smart ass and stuff, which you obviously are, but I can tell that you also take this really, really seriously. How much responsibility do you feel to like, tell these stories the way they deserve to be told and, and represent these scenes and that side of things. What well, absolute responsibility. And uh, I've never taken anything more seriously, maybe my musical, but this, uh, once I got this bug in my head, I was not going to stop. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's legacy. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's so very important for our, our scene for our community to be acknowledged and memorialized. It really is because, you know, there's no award, there's, there's no award show, there's no Grammy, there's no billboard chart, but you can find lesbian bluegrass in the bill, in the charts. Well, bluegrass anyway, but, uh, and that's fine. We puck rockers don't want that. We don't want awards, Yeah. Uh, but a museum is perfect. Because it it is it's like our church, and punk rock is a religion, 
as in like Buddhism, you know, it's not, it's not a believing in God religion. It's a philosophy of, of community and, mm -hmm. and taking care of each other and acceptance. And, uh, and this is a place that everyone will feel that. Yeah. yeah. And unfortunately that's, um, not always the case at a lot of, you know, you don't necessarily feel welcome when you're the new guy at a show and stuff like that. So um, I think it's really cool that you're approaching it with that in mind. Absolutely. And, and and also what you mentioned before is having people like when uh, Pete from Sick of It All was doing tours, you know, people were like, oh, my God, it's Pete from Sick of It All. And he's a nice guy. And he, <laughs> we're just hanging out. And uh, that reminds people that we're on this together. It's not, yeah, that it's not the fucking rock and roll hall of fame where we got, where, where there's like 30 feet of punk rock. Thanks guys. Yeah. And I mean, it's cool. It's better than nothing. Or like at the museum of pop culture here, I want to say they had like, uh, the teen idols jacket or something there. And that was cool, but it's like literally, you know, six feet out of like, you know, this giant building. Yeah. And punk rock is, uh, Sorry, everyone, but it's more important than all your fucking stupid styles of music. It just is. <laughs> it is. Culturally, it, is. it legitimately is more important. It is. Uh, obviously. Yeah. It Like how much cultural influence has punk rock had? It is. It, it's fucking everything. Like rap wouldn't be what it is now without punk. No, punk was the first anti-establishment protest music. Well, no, folk was protest music. But yeah, but uh, we made it fun and and the aesthetics are fucking cool anybody could do it yeah i mean it really did legitimately change the world and if you believe that culture needs to be documented punk needs to be documented it's every bit as important as like modernist painting or any other kind of cultural movement of the past hundred years it's more important than modernist painting dude come on <laughs> well, hey, listen, I'm a big fan of modernist painting as well. I'm, I'm a big fan of my modernism, you know. I, I, well, you know, I mean, I won't go on a tangent, but, you know, Dada and punk have a lot in common. They're very similar. <laughs> All right. Yeah, they do. Like, you know, the, have you ever seen that painting that says, this is not a pipe? And it's like a painting of a pipe by Magritte from like 1905 or something. You ever seen that one? You know, that could be like a punk album cover. Yeah. And that was him fucking with the art scene at the time that took itself really seriously. And he's like, I'm going to do a painting of a, or he put a, an, uh, um, uh, fucking, uh, why am I drawing a blank? Um, the toilet. Uh, why can't, it's the most famous fucking data is Duchamp. Yeah. Duchamp, the toilet in an art gallery in like 1910 or whatever it was. That's super punk. Yeah. Well, it's anti-establishment. Exactly. Exactly. It's, but, but, it's a common thread. And so is Jackson Pock at Punk because he was terrible. Jackson Pock is there. Uh, Jackson Pock was like early there... germs. What's that? Jackson Pock was like early germs. Yeah, or Flipper. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, do you have like the visual art side of things was a big, big, big deal? You know, for me. I mean, you can see like the flyers and stuff behind me. That was a big deal for me. Uh, what do you have as far as that in the museum? Well, we have flyer walls all over the place. Uh, I actually bought uh, a telephone pole that I put in the middle of. Oh, perfect. So it goes all the way to the top. And we every day we put on flyers that you can take. 
you know, like old school, cool flyers. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the flyers, we want people to send them in because we are always covering old flyers with new flyers. And I don't mean like modern flyers. I mean, like we're always changing the art. Okay. Uh, There's just not a lot of modern flyers. Like when you go upstairs, it it turns more like silkscreen posters and shit like that. Yeah, now you're going to have to put Instagram posts on the telephone pole. Oh, we have, we have <laughs> a, a Instagram post, Jesus. It's not, not quite as cool. No. Well, h- how much do you feel like you will want to update this thing to reflect new developments? Meaning, like, in 15 years, are you going to want to have a corner of this dedicated to things that happened in 2012? Well, there already are things that happened in 2012. We're current. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and there's two big rooms that are going to be changing every six months. And uh, we, we're going to need to expand. Yeah. But we have we have the properties. It's just a matter of when we can afford them. Because, you know, people are not going to like to hear this, but it's a fact. Like, you look at the artists that, like, Brett has been signing to Epitaph in the past five years. They are punk. Whether people like it or not, a lot of people call them, you know, emo rappers and whatnot. And you look at the the comments on the Epitaph uh, Facebook pages and stuff, and people are all upset about it. But Brett is right. They are part of punk, and they deserve to be represented in this museum eventually. Well, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. We're not, we're not fucking critics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And there's a big difference there. And uh, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm surprised. I was doing some headhunting at uh, when we were young. I was walking on bands trailers that I've never met before, you know. And they were like, "Uh, uh Mike, what's, what's up?" I'm like, "Oh, I just wanted to welcome you guys to the museum. If you have anything you want to go to the museum, we'd love to. You, you want us to the punk rock museum?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah. Aren't you guys punk?" It says story of the year. Uh, well, I'm like. Uh, and I made friends with a lot of people and oh, I just felt so good to let these bands know that they're all welcome. Yeah, I'm sure that's gotta be a good feeling. That's, that's, that was my job. When I, when I first asked Brian Ray Turco to be part of this, he's like, wow, this is so funny. He's like, I always told everyone I would never be part of a museum, but I will because you're the one who's going to start it. And I know you're going to do it right. You're not going to, you're doing it for the right reasons. So he is one of the, you know, the, one of the, the original five. And that felt good to hear that. Cause I'm not going to, I mean, of course I'm going to let people down because you can't please everyone, but yeah. so far people are really, really stoked. And mm. you, you said something interesting earlier that you said your mission was to spread joy or something like that, which, uh, I wouldn't have ever, I don't think I would have expected you to say that, but hearing you say it, it does kind of um, make a lot of things make sense. Well, that's it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm quitting no effects uh, is because I want to find better ways to bring, to let, to help people find happiness. Because uh, that's what I'm interested in. And why do you, why do you think no effects isn't the right vehicle for that right now? Well, we bring happiness to people for a night. It's like you can give a guy a fish or teach him how to fish. Mm-hmm. 
And I'm more interested in uh, uh, doing TED Talks and and uh, I haven't, I, I, I just, I really enjoy that. I mean, I studied sex therapy in, in uh, it was my minor in college and I'm so open about my sexuality. I know a lot of my conversations go back to this and me being masculine and very feminine, but that's what the world needs. It, it uh, Playing in a band, what gives you the good feeling it, it, that you're making people stoked? Mm-hmm. Well, I make people stoked for their lives. I want to teach people that, because really happiness is right in front of all of us and people mm-hmm. don't know, they don't understand it. Yeah. They think it's working or making money and it's figuring out what your passion is and what your happiness is. And then you figure out how to get that. And well, you've achieved a lot of things in life that people would say, oh, if only I had that, like if only a million people liked my band or if only I got signed to this label or if only I did this, you've achieved a lot of those things. And people might say, oh, well, it's easy to say, easy for Mike to say that being in a band doesn't make you happy and whatnot, but you know it, you know, because you were there. Yeah. And because, you know, NoFX started in 83 and I worked at McDonald's all summer and I worked in a women's shoe store and, and no one liked us until 1990 at all. Right. Right. So we did our eight years on the fucking road, uh, making $75 a night. We did it because we loved it. And yeah, and my dad was a traveling shoe salesman and my mom was a manicurist. But uh, I figured out a way. But now that's the point is, I was so fucking happy just being in a van with these guys in the 80s. And, you know, and me and Aaron at the time, you know, we were having kinky sex in the van, you know, we'd tell the guys to stay at someone's house and I get tied up in the van. It's like, it didn't matter how much money you had. It's if you were doing what you fucking love. People think that being successful financially is happiness and it can help, I guess. Sure, it can help. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt. But uh, greatest punk lyrics of my life was seven seconds, wasted life ain't no crime. It's like, you don't, and and in America, oh, I'm just going to kind of waste my life and just enjoy it. You're shunned. You are yeah. shown. Where in Europe, hey, you know what? I'm going to be a barista. For, I love this city in Italy. I'm going to just going to be Italian, hang out with my bros, and this restaurant, and rent for my whole life. And look at that guy who's happy his whole life, uh, playing bocce ball. You can't do that in America. America, you got to be a success. Or you're a loser. It's fucking disgusting. Well, you're a very driven person, though. So how do you kind of balance those two things? I mean, you're not a slacker. Uh, no, I, I'm a workaholic. Uh, I'm getting over it right now, though. That's why I'm giving up no effects. And uh, the Punk Rock Museum is now open. I have uh, a couple more things on my list. And then I'm going to go back to how I was living in the 90s, which is, uh, you know, I'm going to, I want to, well, I'm definitely going to get into stand-up because I love stand-up. I just don't have time for it now. How are you going to keep yourself from kind of workaholicking on the museum like you did the band and the other things. Museum is open. We're good. I'm just gonna, you know, like I've I have a couple tour I have a tour today, tour tomorrow. 
I'm going to add stuff, but my passion right now is co-defendants, bro. Come on. We're, I mean, co-defendants, we're, we're halfway through with our new album, and which is better than our first one. So that's, I, I thought that that was just kind of like a one-off little thing, but that's like a, a, a band that's going to continue to exist. Oh, co baby. Look at that logo. There it is. Have you heard the album yet? I heard what you played me and like what's out publicly. I've not heard anything. I don't, I don't well, know if that's out. what I heard. Check it out. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that then. Yeah. yeah. First time I ever got 10 out of 10 reviews. Feels good. Uh, and Code of Fed has played with no effects in Austin on a big stage. And uh, people, it was, it was really exciting. Yeah. It's cool. It's, it's, it's cool. I, it was like genuinely like a fresh new sound, uh, which I, I had no expectations, but it was really cool. And that, I love that, that everyone says it's like, it's like, I don't know what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's so fun to hear that every time. Yeah. Really. There's really nothing else that sounds exactly like it. Um, well, on that note, uh, do you mind if I ask you a few no effects questions? I don't. Uh, so Speaking of kind of being original, um, no effects, I would say was like, to me, probably the most copied band of the nineties. Um, I think it was one of those bands that when people hear it, they're like, Oh shit. I didn't know like punk could sound or music could sound like that. I'm going to do that. Um, which, uh, I'm sure was, you know, maybe that's kind of lame, but I'm sure, you know, also is pretty flattering how did it feel back then to realize that there were like literally thousands of bands all over the world, you know, that were inspired so much by what you guys were doing? I never looked at that that way. I really didn't. Uh, it, Cause it was just a slow uh, upgrade uh, elevation. Of, it's a bad metaphor. Uh, it was like to us when we in 89 and 90, everyone thought we were just an RKL cover band. Like we were just right. trying to be RTL and SNFU, but they broke up and then we took a little bad religion and them and got our sound. I think we really got our sound on ribbed, which is mm -hmm. like the effect sound. And then uh, it's just, no one was doing melodic hardcore. That's the thing until, until bad religion put out suffer. And it was like, duh. Yeah. We yeah right. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, it just kind of took off. So, I think uh, people took the no effects sound a lot because just like the first five bands I signed to fat records, they were all players. Like all these, all these kids that were trained in metal, they couldn't, you couldn't play metal anymore. You had to right. play uh, punk rock cause it's better. It's more melodic. It's everything about it is better. And, but lag wagon, they were metal musicians, face to face metal, mm -hmm. musicians, propaganda, metal musicians, strung out metal musicians. It was like, it all mm -hmm. came from that. I never thought about it that way. That's a good point. And that's how Fabric has got the sound. Good riddance, no. But, uh, and also, by the way, I'm just going to put this out, throw this out there, is the Fabric sound comes from propaganda, how to clean everything. That's where it started. Hmm. If this okay. effects, we had White Trash, Two Heaps, and a Bean in 92. How uh -huh. do you think about in 93? And then we did Punk and Drelic in 94. And where do you think like the linoleum comes from? It comes from fucking propaganda. Hmm. Okay. Even the whole sound. 
how to clean everything started the fat record sound wasn't also okay so i see interesting so um propaganda is one of those bands people bring up to me as like you know super iconic you know bands that changed everything for them and uh i i definitely i liked how to clean everything at the time but to be honest i wasn't really aware of what an impact it had uh until fairly recently and lyrically nobody could touch them you know i have this song 180 degrees and it was about me becoming a vegetarian i was a vegetarian for 12 years it's because I heard propaganda and I felt like they were speaking to me. And, oh, I am a role model. People do like my band. If I was just vegetarian and not famous, maybe I'd save a cow my whole life. But if I do it now and sing about it, I could save 10,000 cows, whatever. Sure. It was a moral choice I made. And that's, uh, intelligence is the ability to change your mind. That's, that is intelligence. If you can't change your mind, then you're a fucking idiot, like George yeah. Bush or Trump. Uh, so that's 180 degrees. That's just, it's 180 degrees, 180 degrees. Just, I just turned around. I just, mm-hmm. you know what? I like your point of view better. Well, it's interesting that we frown on that. You know, some people do that you're a hypocrite or a, a what did they call it? A flip-flopper. Like, a flip-flopper. Flip-flopper. That's what it was. Yeah. It's like, well, no, I heard, I heard something better and I changed my mind. Right. And, and so and it's so funny how that's looked at as weak. It's not but weak. But really, what's weak is digging in your heels when you know you're wrong. Absolutely. That's what it, it drives me crazy about people. I, It's so liberating when someone says something and you go, huh, well, I really hadn't thought about it that way. Give me a second. I like that. Yeah. And, and then the person's like, Oh, I, this has never happened to me before. No one's ever said <laughs> right. We never tell people like, "Hmm, no, you're right. I changed my mind." Yeah, like people are so arrogant and hard headed that it's like nobody will just say that. I don't know I why. I change my mind all the time. That's what really makes good leadership. You know, like the museum people are like Mike. You always fucking say no, no, no. Except for the times they go, "Ooh, I was, I was wrong." You're right. Let's do it that way. They go, "Well, yeah, you do that a lot too." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm not going to do it every time. Yeah, yeah, you can't, you can't listen every time. Well, speaking of which, I know this is a touchy one, but I want to know what you think about it. Um, so Haley Williams recently uh, said something about um, something you said on stage back in the 2000s. I don't remember exactly what it was, but it, it wasn't very nice. Um, my understanding is that you but had I apologized said, for that. Uh, and I'm curious to know what you think about that now. Well, I'm with Ricky Gervais. You can't bring up something someone said 15, 20 years ago and bring it up now. Uh, I actually uh, contacted her manager and said, I'd like to talk to Haley and apologize. And she would not take my call, Mm. which is weird because uh, I've seen her a couple times after I said that comment on stage. I saw her at Denny's when she was with Chad and we sat down and had dessert. Like she had no problem with it a couple years after it, but uh, the thing is, Finn, and this is no joke, I am a very easy target right now, uh, which is weird. I, and that Haley thing, it sucks, but it really hurt me deeply. It was in every music magazine around the world, and she was talking about bro homophobic culture on the Warp Tour. Yeah. And 
I'm queer, motherfuckers. And we have been flying a gay flag for the past 20 years. Like, who the fuck thinks that no effects is homophobic? Right. She didn't say that, but she put me in the same line right after that and said, bro culture, and we're not bros, bro. You know, uh, and what I said is, well, first of all, if I'm talking shit about your band on the Warp Tour, you're stoked. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> yes. I'm aware of your band. And, yeah. and by the way, I talk shit about everybody, including, you know, I call bad religion, bald religion. I, you know, I talk <laughs> shit about everybody. And, yeah. and she had no problem. And we were very friendly. Yeah, her manager said, "Who can you who can you bring up about being late?" Oh, Fat Mike, he's he's a target. That's why she wouldn't talk to me. You know, I mean, if you see, I went to the fucking Bible study that she was at. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and it was fine. I was very. It's polite. another one of these things people bring up as you being an asshole, but there's video of it, and everyone there is laughing, and they don't seem to be too upset about it. I wasn't giving anyone shit. They were all saying what bad people they were. And I was like, oh, I'm kind of a good person. I don't know about you guys. Cheat <laughs> or lie. But but I wanted to apologize because she is a woman. And yeah. uh, uh, I was going to put a big photo of her in the room of the museum. She they definitely said, deserves to be there. They said they didn't want to be in the museum. Hmm. And it, cause she said some very nice things about sex workers and gay and homosexuals. And I thought, I want that quote. That's cool. And then, but they didn't want to be in it. I was like, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to put them in anyway, because this is important. Yeah. And then a couple weeks later, she goes after me. And then my, my staff was like, you know what? Fuck her. Uh, she doesn't want to be part of this museum and she's talking shit about you. What I said was Haley over there from Paramore, uh, great singer. Uh, she gives shitty rim jobs. No, no, I said she gives really good rim jobs. I'm sorry. And I, I do. I didn't mean it because uh, she doesn't give good rim jobs. No, uh, but that's a shitty thing for me to say because she's a woman. And uh, if I would have said it about their guitar player, it would have been fine. Be different. Yeah, but but rock and roll is sexist. Yeah, it is. And and she gets so much shit for existing. Yeah, and, I can understand and, why she would be sensitive about it. Right, and but back then, it wasn't a cool thing. But I I, I wasn't thinking of those kind of consequences then. Yeah, it, no excuse. I'm not excusing myself. That's why I wanted to talk to her and apologize. She went after me for. Uh, for publicity, not because I hurt her fucking feelings. Uh, in Nashville, when we played Nashville, she was watching us with her parents. She was 19 at the time or 18. And I told the story on stage. I said, yeah, I love Nashville. We haven't played here in like 19 years. I remember getting laid with this, this redhead <laughs> woman. Great sex. I, I, it was unprotected sex. She looks a lot like, kind of like Haley does. I was like, oh, oh my God, Haley. <laughs> I might be your dad. <laughs> we can't now, rule it out. Yeah. And now clearly I'm making a joke. So she could say that as I'm 
a sexist prick, but I'm clearly not a sexist prick. I've been singing lyrics, pro-feminist lyrics since we started. So yeah, it wasn't going to, you hate to bring that up, but I had to ex explain myself. Yeah. What I said, uh, wish I could take it back and I wish I could apologize to her, but she wouldn't let me. That is weak. Got it. Well, so the there's a, a few no effects shows left. Is that right? No, we're playing all the way through October 2024. Okay, so it's I thought it was October of this year for some reason. Uh -uh. Got it. Okay, so October 24th or October of 24, and then that's it for real. It's not going to be like oh, never mind. We unbroke up. Ben, we're done. Unless they want to do it without me. Got it. Um, it's such a gift to be able to say goodbye to all these people. And, you know, our second show in Austin, you know, I, I could barely even say thank you so much for coming to see us for so many years. It means so much. And then, you know, uh, I, I was crying and I went out and shook everyone's hand and a thumb wrestled and got, got my tattoo of... It's a 40 answer for no effects. Mm, mm -hmm. It's a uh, 40, 40 years, 40 cities. And, uh, uh, Cameron, our promoter was doing the whole tour from Bruhaha. He was like, I've never seen you guys so good. Cause we practiced, we had six rehearsals, which is unheard of. We usually practice for four hours. And we learned all these songs we've never ever, ever played before. And it was, uh, we're not giving 60%, we're giving 100%. So it, it seems like, uh, I don't know, it's, it seems like you are in a more, uh, I don't know, a more contemplative place than you have been in the past. I'm in a very peaceful place right now. Uh, I was... I was like in the best mood for 24 hours after that last show. And, and the museum is so good. And uh, I have so much gratitude. I just have so much gratitude right now. I'm not, uh, and doing this uh, interview with you is, is really nice, Finn. Thank you. Glad to hear that. I appreciate that. I like uh, you as a historian a lot. And thanks for giving me the time yeah well i appreciate it i know you have a lot going on so i will let you go but uh thank you very much and uh i will be excited to come check out the museum once uh the baby's uh old enough to be uh left alone oh the baby's yeah never old enough to come to the museum we have a sign that says children are allowed but not welcomed <laughs> all right we're there there it is cool well thanks again and uh i will talk to you later Hey, this is Steve Choi, host of the Musicians Guild podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Within the four walls of the Musicians Guild, we'll be discussing the habits, idiosyncrasies, experiences, and general psychology of my friends and peers, all involved with music in various capacities. Listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com. Yes, rock everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. 
Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimbut the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!